Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Before we dive into today's message, we would like to share a unique opportunity with you. On Saturday, April 2nd, we will be hosting our second annual Quest 5K Run and 1K Family Walk to meet the needs in our own backyard. This year, all proceeds will benefit Westerville Area Resource Ministry and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Ohio. Registration for runners, walkers, donors, and sponsors are open now at gotoquest.org slash 5K. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org slash 5K. Now, let's dive into today's message. Good morning. It's great to be back and great to see you this morning. Great day, isn't it? Uh, let me start by expressing my gratitude. Many of you know that Wendy, uh, Wendy's dad passed away two Sundays ago. I uh, found out ten minutes before the service that he had passed away. And so we were in Minnesota, cold Minnesota. It was 15 below zero the day of the memorial. That, you know, the day that you shift into drive and you wait five seconds for your car to start moving because it takes that long through the li- thick of the liquid to get there. But uh, I just want to say... Um, some of our most memorable moments of the last couple of weeks have been how you guys have prayed for us and cared for us. And I just want to say thank you. It has meant a tremendous amount to us in this time. Uh, Paul was a huge fan of what God was doing here at Quest. Many of you probably had a chance to meet him. He had, uh, he had supported Quest financially through his prayers, through his presence, and sometimes embarrassed me because he'd learned some of your names faster than I would and come home and say, did you know this person? I'm going, oh, Paul, tell me what they look like so I get the name memorized with the right face. And, and he's just a wonderful person. He was a tremendous dad, a great father-in-law, a great grandparent. I learned so much about how to do those roles well from him, and we... We miss him a lot, but God blessed our time in Minnesota. It was a good mix of tears and stories and uh, planning that uh, brought family together, and uh, we're grateful that it brought family together in such a meaningful way. So thank you. Thank you very much for loving us so well. We, are, we, we just can't say enough. Um, the questions that we're going to deal with today actually kind of center in this whole topic for us and kind of what we and our family went through this last month uh, with Paul. We know God can heal. And we know he does heal. I mean, if you were here last Sunday, you heard Sarah get up and talk about how prayer and uh, healing came for her sister in France. And, and, and we prayed fervently for the healing of Paul from this cancer, and yet he, he passed. And even after we got there, we managed to get there in time before they took his body away, and we actually went in and, and we prayed for him to come back to life. I mean, we just prayed for that. And, and I, you know, I've got a friend in Yakima, Washington, with a church I worked with a whole bunch when we were on the West Coast. And... And he's a doctor, and he had a, a guy in his office one day die of a massive heart attack. And uh, several minutes after they stopped trying to even resuscitate him, he decided he was going to pray. And he came back to life without any medical intervention. I mean, God answers prayers. He does stuff. But the question that you brought up today is, why does God answer some prayer and not others? It's an emotionally hard question, isn't it? It's a question that we keep praying and we keep asking and it's hard for us to emotionally keep praying and keep asking when we don't see the answers coming. It's a little bit like our work sometimes, isn't it? We, we, it's, it's hard in our workplace if we go to our boss and ask them for something or give an idea and they don't respond to it, they ignore it. I mean, we tend to feel in those instances like it's better just to shut up and just do our job if they're not going to pay attention, right? If they're not going to listen. And, and it's sometimes like it is in our marriage, too. Sometimes we ask our spouse for a change so much that it gets to the place where it's just kind of sure, but nothing changes. Or, or maybe even gets to the point where the spouse just stops even paying attention to the request. And, and, and being ignored makes you hurt. It's frustrating. It's demotivating. It's hard to keep putting yourself out there, isn't it? in those time periods. And frankly, when you do keep putting yourself out there, it's, it, it's easy for the tension to increase in that relationship. Isn't it? That's what it feels like. And the pain in our heart increases when we keep putting ourselves out there. I mean, in your marriage, you, your spouse and you start to fight when you keep putting it out there and you get more defensive. Or, or if you keep putting it out there with your boss and your boss ignores you, eventually the new guy coming in gets more attention and gets the promotions and you feel even more left out. So why do we keep doing it. 
And the same feeling is really oftentimes present in our relationship with God as well. When we pray, when we seek for wisdom, when we pray for healing, and when those things don't seem to happen. It's those types of questions that you ask. And here are some of the questions actually that you did ask. How do we keep praying and keep faith when it feels like your, your prayers are constantly not being answered? Another, another, someone else said this. How do you say to someone, what do you say to someone who says they never hear from God? Another question. Why are there fewer healings and manifestations of the Spirit of God working today than there were in Jesus' times? Another one of you asked it this way. You said, how does, how does free will and God's sovereignty work together in this whole thing of prayer? Uh, another person asked it this way. If God can heal, why doesn't he? Especially when it's an innocent child. If God were loving and just and wanting to be involved in our lives, wouldn't he solve suffering like this? Another one of you asked, how should we deal with the frustration of praying for someone's salvation or healing or provision for a long time when we don't see the results? Another person said, why does God heal one person and not another? It's all these questions around why does God answer some prayer and not others? And see, I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. You're thinking about a common answer given to that question that goes like this. It's God always answers prayers not just in the way we want or recognize. And sure, God, God often answers prayers. We know that by saying no. Sometimes God answers prayers in unexpected ways, in ways that we don't even anticipate, or He wants something different, and He answers our, our request in a totally different way. But that statement, even though there's a lot of it that's true, feels so patronizing to someone who's in the midst of unanswered prayer. Because sometimes we pray for healing, we believe for healing, and it doesn't happen. Sometimes we pray for a relationship or we pray for a provision of some sort, and it doesn't happen, even though we believe God is going to do it. And the reality is, the Bible actually clearly says that God does not listen to some of our prayers sometimes. Now, so that statement isn't even fully true, our common statement. Why does, why does God not listen? I mean, before we go there to that question, let's, let's, let's go here for a second. The minute we start talking about why God doesn't listen to our prayers sometimes, it's really easy for us to go to a place of guilt, isn't it? Because it's all about us. We start to think things like, well, my father-in-law wasn't healed because of my sin or my lack of faith. I'm the one to blame for this problem that God did not answer, Right? especially in healing, but in other areas as well. I'm going to submit to you there's a lot of really bad theology out there that readily blames us for the lack of results. I refer to it as a blame theology. It puts all the responsibility on us. And it makes faith into something that it's actually not. It makes faith into something totally dependent on our perfect thinking, our ability to never have a doubtful thought. It puts faith into our perfect life. Or even sometimes extends it to our perfect choice of words. That we can't talk about the reality of a disease, otherwise we give power to that disease. And it puts it all on us. That kind of theology puts the power of healing or the power of answered prayer squarely upon our performance as people. And it basically says God will always heal, God will always answer if you get it right. Right? And that's actually counter to the gospel. It's actually unlike Jesus' parable of the mustard seed when he says, when Jesus says to us, the tiniest amount of faith, if you have the tiniest amount of this faith, this mountain can be cast into the sea. But see, what blame theology does is it takes that parable of Jesus and it reverses the metaphor and it basically says, your faith is the mountain and God's answer to that prayer is the little tiny seat. And it reverses that for us. Now, certainly there can be some crossover between unanswered prayer and the reasons why God wouldn't listen to us but, 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 and why God might not heal. But I don't want us to go today to this place of guilt where we start to say, I'm the reason. It's my fault for this unanswered prayer. Let's stay in that place of love, that place of security and the grace of God and the confidence that God wants to show us what we need to know more than we want to know it. 
that God wants us to grow into this place of effective prayer more than we even want to be there with him. And so let's lean into that reality. Let's rest in him in that reality instead of going to the place of guilt and performance. But still, it is important for us to understand the framework and some of the reasons that the Bible talks about and even frame some questions for us to ask God and ask ourselves about when it comes to this area of God not sometimes listening to our prayers for certain reasons, right? Scripture says sometimes God doesn't listen to our prayers uh, because we ask with the wrong motives. It's James 4. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend it what you get on your own pleasures. We want stuff, good stuff, a lot of times, but a lot of times it's really because we want it for our pleasure, and it's really not about God's pleasure in this moment or God's purpose or God's plan in this moment. It's really about our selfishness. I mean, there's a great illustration of this I love. How many of you are Garth Brooks fans? Anybody here? Okay, Uh, yes, yes. I, I was in Oklahoma when he was big. I had to be. I had to be a Garth Brooks fan. He sings a song called "Unanswered Prayer," right? And and the the song basically goes like this. He says, "I'm I, I was going with my wife to the to my high school reunion, and I met at my high school reunion my high school flame." And, uh, and then he was reminded of the fact that every night and every day throughout high school, he prayed that if I could just have my high school flame for my wife, I would never ask for anything else. And then Garth flips the song, and, and frankly, it's a little, really kind of a slam, isn't it? But it's the reality in a sense. He says, sometimes, there's the lyrics, he says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. She wasn't quite the angel, referring to the high school flame, that I remembered in my dreams. A little bit of a slam there. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. And as she walks away, the lyrics go on, and I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Some of the greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, aren't they? Now, don't you hope that that wasn't written about a real person? Because there's like millions of people singing all over the world about how Garth is really glad he didn't marry her. I mean, I could sing the same thing about Wendy. Before Wendy, there was this nice girl who I thought I wanted to marry, and she wanted her and her husband to live with her mom, and her mom was the kind that would go to McDonald's when there were three for a buck hamburgers, and she would buy 500 of them and load the freezer, and you'd eat those for the next three months. And I was going, I'm glad I'm not eating hamburgers with her, living with her for three months, and I'm glad I'm not in cold Alaska, which is where she wanted to live. Sometimes God's unanswered prayers are good for us. Sometimes God doesn't listen to our prayers because of the way we treat our spouse. Speaking to husbands, but it's equally applicable to wives, 1 Peter 3 says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And It would be appropriate to generalize that weaker partner to say this, Treat your spouse with respect even in their weakness and their failings as heirs of you, with the gra- of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Sometimes God doesn't listen to our prayers because of our disobedience to his will or our lack of knowing his will. First John 5 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But the problem is a lot of times we ask, but we want what we want And we don't fully and we don't truly surrender ourselves to wanting what God wants in the way God wants it for our lives. There's almost a wrestling match with God between what we want and what he wants. There's a great example of this in Jesus' disciples when Jesus is confronted with the the news that his buddy Lazarus is sick and dying. And they're asking him, will you travel to go see him and and heal him? And, And what does Jesus do in that story? He actually waits a couple days, right? And his disciples are baffled. They're looking at him going, what are you doing? Why are you not going to heal your friend? And the account goes on and shows that Jesus eventually does go and Lazarus has died. He has the stone rolled away and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He answers the prayer. But sometimes God wants to answer our prayers in a very different way on a different time frame than we want. I mean, that's one reason when we teach people to pray around here, we encourage you, we we use what's called the Vineyard Five-Step Model. And the first step is this, it's to ask the Holy Spirit to come and ask Him what He wants to do 
Instead of assuming how he wants to answer in this moment, let's spend a few moments asking God, what do you want to do so we make room for that answer to be given? Sometimes God doesn't listen to our prayers as well because of our lack of pursuit of ensuring justice and very closely tied to that, our lack of generosity toward those in need and God's mission in this earth. Isaiah 58, God is talking to the prophet Isaiah and telling him what to say and God's actually a little bit snarky. If you really read this passage, it's a little bit snarky in this passage. He says this, he says, Declare to my people in their rebellion, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation who does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They say, why have we fasted and prayed and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God answers our question today. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. In other words, you're greedy at your work. You overvalue yourself and you undervalue your team. You use people for your own gain. And then he goes on and says, your fasting and prayer ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. In other words, your idea of prayer and fasting is just words and just going through motions and making requests. It doesn't change your situation. It doesn't change your heart and it doesn't change how you act. And God goes on and says, you cannot fast or pray or worship as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? He says, only a day for people to humble themselves going through humble rituals. Is it only for bowing one's head over and over again, closing your eyes and bowing your head and folding your hands and, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes saying your prayer and kneeling at your bed or bowing your, ta- bowing your head at your dinner table or coming to church? Is that what you call a fast and a prayer, a day acceptable to God? Is it not this kind of fast that I have chosen or prayer that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, to not continue to treat people who are less fortunate or poor around you as objects by staying relationally disconnected from them in their pain and, 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 and what got them to where they are. Because when we do that, it's all too easy just to say what so many of us say, just work harder. You have the same opportunity I have. Instead, God is asking us to become close enough to them that we get to know their story and know their pain and know their circumstances and therefore we're able to break those emotional yokes, those belief yokes, and those worldview yokes that keep them going in a direction that's not productive, that's hurtful, that's counterproductive because of their thoughts, their actions, and the way they view life. Use your freedom and the generosity of your time and your kindness to help them see the world differently and recognize the opportunities God has brought to them. And then, when we do that stuff and focus on our prayer, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here I am. And isn't that what we really want in life? For the God of the universe to hear us? I mean, most of us don't really have that big of a problem with God saying no, or with his answer being different than what we prayed for, right? What we really struggle with the most is, does God care enough to hear me? Finally, sometimes God doesn't listen because of the sins of the community. There's this difficult story in Joshua 7. The Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River and experienced their first great victory against the great walled city of Jericho. And now God instructs them next to go up against this little tiny burg of Ai. And it's so small that they say, we can send a fraction of the army against them and it's still going to be a cakewalk. It's just so easy. But they go up there and they get soundly defeated. And 36 of the Israelites are killed. 
Long story short, they get back and they're praying and figuring out what went wrong in the answer to their prayer. And God leads them through this process to isolate the reason for their unanswered prayer and their loss. And it comes down to this man, Achan, and his sin and his actions, his sinful actions at Jericho. You see, God clearly, unequivocally instructed all the Israelites when going up against the previous town, Jericho, to take no booty, to take no treasure at all. But Achan disobeyed. He took silver and gold and other things. And God actually instructs the Israelites to stone Achan and his whole household and then burn them and all of their household and cover them with rocks. That is so harsh, isn't it? Sounds so harsh. Why did 36 men of Israel have to die because of this man's sin? and go through an unanswered prayer. Why couldn't God have simply struck this man as the primary offender, Achan, with lightning or some sort of weird wasting disease, right? Why his whole fa- Why did his whole family have to be killed? It seems like God is making a really big, memorable point with very two very important lessons for them today and for us now. You see, we too easily enable sin by our silence and by our complicity. The whole family of Achan knew of the sin, and they kept quiet, enabling that sin. Achan, in in the face of extreme clarity by God on what was right and what was wrong, chose to disobey, and the family knew it. And they didn't ever bother to go really push Achan on it. They didn't go to the leaders to get some help on it, to intervene on it. They allowed the sin to be buried in the middle of their tent, the text says. James actually speaks to us about this in another way. It says, and we've quoted it often, James says, uh, confess your sins so that you will be healed. That you find healing when you confess your sins. But see, we too often in our day still live like the, what is best for us is to, um, uh, is to save face and not embarrass ourselves or embarrass those around us by their sin. So we help cover and enable other people's sin. And it festers and it causes problems. It's a friend of mine, Randy, um, grew up with and was uh, in my wedding and And I worked for him. He was a few years older, but he owned his family farm very early in his early 20s. And I worked for him as a hired hand. And I was coach of the church softball team. And he was my third baseman. And I played shortstop for years with him. And I miss playing softball. Although I tweaked my back this morning. I don't know if I can anymore. Randy and I had many challenging and encouraging conversations about faith and about life. But Randy had a problem during that time period. We would drive around in the summer in Minnesota. And he would gawk at other women especially women in tube tops. The 70s were a really bad decade for clothes. I don't understand tube tops. They don't make any sense to me. I would consistently listen to him do this, and I wouldn't say anything to him. In fact, there were times that his wife was in the car, and he would make all these comments about the women that he saw, and she would just wince with shame and pain. And then there was one night at church when the Holy Spirit convicted Randy really strongly and and in tears he repented to his wife in front of the entire group that was there that night. And then the Spirit of God came on him, what I would describe as a prophetic moment, and he turned to me and he said, Ross, you were with me for months while I did this, and you said nothing. And I sensed the Holy Spirit rest upon me with just this depth of grief at my own sin that I would not say anything, that I would watch him hurt himself and hurt his wife and hurt his marriage and hurt his family and hurt and even objectify women as sex objects as he referred to them instead of treating them with the respect and the honor that God created them to be treated with. See, we too easily enable sin and destruction in the lives of the people who are close to us in marriages and more by our silent complicity. The second lesson of Achan for us is this, that your sin, my sin, everyone's sin is not an individual thing. Sin affects everyone around you. Think of it this way. If Joe Simonet, uh, the chair of our elder board, was up here instead of me today and his announcement was to you that, sorry, Ross is not going to be preaching anymore because he had an affair. 
My sin would greatly affect you if that were the case, wouldn't it? Some of you would leave church altogether because it would play painful tapes for you of past disillusionment with spiritual leaders and you'd just be done with church. Some of you would leave hurt and angry and you'd go to another church and you'd carry that bitterness and that distrust with you and you would sin and create sin against the leaders of that church because of your mistrust and bitterness associated with me. And some of you would give up on faith and some of your morality altogether because you'd say if a spiritual leader can't be better than that, then this whole thing must not be real. And you might use it as an excuse to deepen your own sexual sin in your own life. And the consequences of my sin would affect your children, your friends, your spouse, your family. And if the news and social media got a hold of it, thousands of others. And the same is true of each and every one of our own sin. And God sometimes judges harshly and quickly to prevent the spread of cancerous sin and wrong perceptions of him about what is right and good and true. Now, I'll bet I can also guess what some of you are thinking right about now. Some of you are probably thinking, if sin gets in the way of prayer, then we're all damned. I mean, there's no hope. How do we know if sin is getting in the way or if it's something else like God wanting to answer no or God answering in a different way than we expect? And God's grace is so amazing and so patient that he actually does listen to our prayers even when we're still caught in sin. When we learn to live the way Paul instructs us to in 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, My conscience is clear. But, what that, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And this passage, this short verse, gives us two really helpful ways for us to live in the midst of this tension of the question of prayer and sin and discovering God's will and what seems like unanswered prayer. And the first lesson is this. God doesn't judge every sin in our lives all at once. I mean, Paul says... I have a clear conscience. I am not aware of any sin in my life that is undealt with. But he also equally freely acknowledges that does not make me innocent. Right? There's almost this sense in Paul, as you read this passage and the surrounding stuff, this sense of being accepted by God and not only being unafraid of God pointing out sin, but almost welcoming God pointing out sin in his life because he is so loved and so accepted and so soft-hearted towards God because of that. Second, Paul simply lives with a clear conscience and an open heart to God's correction anytime he wants to give it. So if your prayers are not being answered, then ask yourself some questions. Is there sin that I need to confess? Is there something in my life that God has dealt with me on in the past that I'm avoiding, that I know I need to deal with? But I've resisted it. And if so, confess that. Turn away from it. And just take a step in the right direction. Even if you can't solve it all now, just take a step in the right direction. And second, ask God about your motive. Am I asking for the right reasons, God? And just listen and reflect on that and let Him speak to you. And third, ask God, is there a different question or a different request that I need to make in order to be aligned with your will? Are you wanting something different than I'm asking? What is your will, God? And in what way do you want to bring that will about? What time or how and what situation do you want to bring that about? Part of living life with a clear conscience is being quick to respond to God and get things right when he asks. Because the longer we resist responding to him, the more danger we are in of becoming people like Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 4, where he says, people whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. See, the longer we resist asking forgiveness, the longer we resist changing our beliefs to align with God when he talks to us about those things, the longer we resist changing our actions to follow those beliefs when he asks us to do that, the more at risk we are of having a conscience that is no longer a safe guide for us. And instead, it's a conscience that is seared 
and hard and burned, a conscience that is either screaming in pain and guilt from everything, from being burned, because and we're constantly being filled with all this false guilt, and we're never at peace, and we're always projecting that guilt on other people, or a conscience that is so burned that we have no feeling left at all, and we're charred, we're hard, we're numb, and we're blind. Wendy, uh, when we first had our first child, Derek, uh, read a ton of parenting books. And she's read a bunch since then, but she read like crazy back then for our firstborn. And, and one of the things that we really picked up that was really helpful for us in this is we spent a lot of time intentionally teaching our kids that we want them to obey us first, right away, rather than waiting till it is convenient for them or when they want to obey. Because their patterns of obedience to us as parents will translate to their patterns of obedience and responsiveness to God. If they're responsive to us us and obey quickly, they'll also learn to be responsive to God and obey Him quickly. And especially when they're young, it was really easy to talk about obedience kept them them safe, right? I mean, you could just say, Derek, don't run on the road. Or Derek, please don't jump off the counter and your bare feet on top of the Legos because it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, we, it's easy to have those conversations, but that conversation then quickly extended for us to when they are wrong and have done wrong, how soft-hearted are you going to be and how quick are you going to be to ask forgiveness? Because the more soft-hearted we are and the more quick we are to ask forgiveness of other people, we will also be that same way with God. And when we're quick and soft-hearted to ask forgiveness quickly, the time of pain from sin is shortened and the damaging effects of sin are less and we live more at peace and more with right relationship and more blessing in our life. And that thinking also led for us as parents to how we guided consequences. The softer hearted, the more quick they were, the smaller the consequences as well. And that's what Paul is actually talking about with us as well. If you are open and you are soft hearted, then you will be able to trust your conscience and trust God and live with peace. Even in the mysterious times of prayer, when you don't know how to sort out all those questions, you're wondering, is it sin, is it something else, or what's God trying to do? You can live in that moment and say, my conscience is clear, just like Paul. But that doesn't make me innocent. But I am forgiven, and I am secure and loved by God. So even if he wants to tell me something is wrong in my life, I can welcome that, and it's not a scary experience for me at all. So the first, first way we live effectively in the struggles of unanswered prayer is simply to intentionally ask the right questions and live with a clear conscience within those questions. And the second way is for us to live by faith. James actually talks about faith as an action, doesn't he? So even in the midst of the sorrows and the fear of this last month with Wendy's dad succumbing to cancer and progressing and not seeing healing, faith for us was, unless God wanted to say his will was clearly different, we were going to continue to pray for healing till the very last time that we possibly could, whether we see it or not. Instead of getting angry at God, we were able to then press into God and with the mourning and the pain of that approaching and then the death that occurred. And we're able to, even in the midst of that, continue to ask for God's kingdom order to break in, for the power of His Holy Spirit to come, even though from Jesus' words Himself, we know that the complete breaking in of that power, the perfection of that, will not be there until Jesus returns. But we still pray. We still pursue miracles. We still pursue God's presence speaking to us and working among us. See, faith is taking action to give God the opportunity to show up and trusting his goodness regardless of the outcome. So when you feel discouraged, like healing can't or won't happen, we pray anyway. The last time I remember praying for somebody for healing where they were healed and I was the only one praying for them at that moment, I have to admit, it was one of those times when I just wasn't feeling it. I was feeling pretty discouraged at that day in my faith. And it was one of those moments when somebody came up to me after service and asked me to pray and in my head I'm going... Now, you get to hear what my head says, okay? In my head, I'm going, darn it. They asked me to pray. And I'm the pastor, and it would be really unkind and really unspiritual of me not to pray. So I have to do this. So in my mind, I quickly told God, I I told him how I was feeling. And I reminded God, like, like he needs to be reminded. I can't do this anyway. 
And God, I've got my doubts, but but I'm going to pray anyway, and I'm going to ask you to work anyway, because she deserves your presence coming to her right now. And so I'm not going to let myself be a barrier. And then I prayed. And she emailed me that afternoon and said I went home pain-free with what I was praying for that day. I prayed far too many times where that has not happened. But faith is keeping on praying. It's keeping on expressing our trust of God, whether our mind is solidly in the place of, yeah, God, you're going to do this and you're going to do it right now, or whether our mind is in the place of, I've seen God do this and I don't feel very hope-filled right now, but I'm going to trust God, I'm going to make room for him, and I'm going to pray anyway. See, the James verse that we read earlier that says that you don't get what you ask because you ask with the wrong motives, that's not all it says. Right the very immediate verse before that, it says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not pray. You do not have because you do not let your need be known to other people so they can pray with you even in that moment. I mean, maybe you think your need is too little and God doesn't want to pay attention to it and he doesn't want to have any part of that. It's just too little to even ask him. So you don't have God in the details of your life like he wants to be, like a good friend wants to be in the details of your life. I understand the tension, the wall we feel. I mean, why would I bring it up again to the boss? Because it seems like he ignored it the last time. So why would I keep asking, right? Why would I do that to myself? Yeah, when one time he answered, but a hundred times he didn't in the way I thought he should. But faith is continuing to step out and pray for what we do not see. Asking God, and not just asking God for the answer, but asking him about our sin about the sin of the group, about our motive, about what his will is and how he wants to do things and being open to asking those questions and making room for him to show up through us in answered prayer, by asking for prayer, by praying for ourselves and by praying with and for other people as well. Because there is nothing more powerful and meaningful in life than knowing God listens and responds to us. And I think he wants to show himself to us more than we experience now. So we've got some questions. Jeremy, come on. I want to start off by saying, uh, and if you were in the 915 service, please close your ears for a moment. 11 o'clock, you've got way better questions than the 915 service. Good job. So, okay, 915, you can open your ears. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off here with this question. Uh, we got a question from a person who grew up Catholic. And uh, so the question begins with, I grew up Catholic. Uh, we had a lot of form prayers that we recited. Uh, is that important to our prayer life, those pre-written, recited prayers? Should, um, should we do more or less of those? I think it's an interesting question. I'm not Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. I don't know a lot of, of those prayers. But I, I want to say two things about this. I do believe that uh, prayers that other people have written, have prepared, that came from their heart can be very meaningful and beneficial to us. Um, A lot of times I know when I'm praying and I don't necessarily have the words, it's helpful for me to read what someone else has already prayed before because then I, it just it opens my mind to, um, to something that, you know, someone else has already discovered about God. So it's, I would say that it can be, it can be, uh, very helpful. The other thing that I would say in addition to that is that one of the, probably the most important pre-written, prepared, recited prayer comes from Matthew chapter six. And that is, um, the time when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount taught all of his followers how to pray. And he says, this is how you should pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Uh, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus was using this moment in the Sermon on the Mount to teach his followers how to connect with God, how how to pray and how to invite God into their lives and into that moment. And I think that in the same way, some of the pre-written prayers, some of the those prayers that we recite, they are 
teachable. Like they allow us to learn something more about God. They allow us to learn more about how to communicate with God. Um, and so it's very helpful. In fact, if we go even into the middle of the Bible, in the, into the book of Psalms, we have a collection of prayers and songs that are pre-written prayers that we can pray where we actually pray the scriptures. And so I do think that they can be helpful, uh, certainly. Ross? Okay, there's a couple quick questions I'm going to kind of combine into one answer. I know God is Trinity, but does does it matter who we pray to, Father, Son, or, or, or Spirit? And then there's another question. Is corporate prayer important? Is corporate prayer more powerful than individual praying? So as far as how we pray in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, most of us were taught to pray in the name of Jesus, and that's perfectly fine. But if you read the text of the Bible, uh, there's prayer done in, to the Father. There's prayer done in Jesus' name. There's even prayer done inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure it matters so much, as long as we're directing towards, towards Jesus. I mean, clearly there's times, I think, when it's important to distinguish between God and Jesus because people don't, they have many different gods that they look to, right? But, but I think the issue of praying in Jesus' name or, 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 or praying the Father's will really comes back to this whole sense of, whole sense of, are we praying like they want us to pray? Are we praying according to their thoughts and their heart and, and, and God's heart and God's will? That's really what the concept is of praying in Jesus' name. Are we praying on his behalf, representing him well in how we are praying? So if you forget to say in Jesus' name before the end of a prayer, it doesn't mean God's not going to answer and I'm not sure you have to worry too much about the formulas as much. I still find it helpful and I often end up closing prayers still praying in Jesus' name because I want to honor that name, right? But as far as formula, will he answer, has nothing to do with will he answer or not. It has everything to do with are we praying as his ambassadors with his heart and his thought. And the corporate prayer. Yes, I think there's plenty of examples all throughout the Bible where God shows up more powerfully in the corporate environment. That's one of the reasons it's important to come here, not... Not just to get taught, it's important for us to come here to pray for one another and to worship together because there's plenty of examples in the Bible of God's presence who is with us always being more powerful in the corporate gathering. And the Bible says, don't neglect gathering together. Why? Because there is that sense of power and presence. And that's the reason why, why I want to encourage you every Sunday to not leave this place without asking people next to you if you can pray for them and without, if there's something you need prayer for, asking for prayer because there is a sense of God showing up more powerfully in the corporate. That's good. I want to add one thing to the praying in the Trinity. Uh, this Just this week, um, Wendy and I were actually talking about this very thing. And I personally struggle uh, in, like, when I think of who I'm praying to, how I'm addressing prayers. Often I won't pray to Jesus, but rather I'll pray to the Holy Spirit because that makes more sense to me. But one thing that I will say about this in, in discovering and, and learning to pray to Father, pray to Son, pray to Spirit, is that as we, as we read Scripture and we learn more about God, we learn more about the one of you know each of those three persons of the Trinity, and we can pray through the characteristics of God when we think about you know who is Father Creator, who is Jesus Savior, who is Spirit Guide, and and so it can really help us in how we um, you know communicate with God if we think uh, in that way. I do. Uh, there's another question here I think is really good. Um, is it acceptable uh, to pray for the same thing or should we only ask once? I thought this was an interesting question and I, I know I've struggled with it myself where it feels like specifically addressing unanswered prayer, like how many times do we have to pray before God's going to hear us, right? And Or should we just, you know, once we pray it, we're done and, you know, God's heard us. I, I think... Um, and there's a theme in all of my answers right now, and it has to do with, with growing and learning and being taught something. And I think when we get to that place where maybe there's some frustration, um, you know, maybe, maybe Garth Brooks could have learned this lesson as he was praying over and over and over that God would answer this one prayer. I need this woman to be my wife. Um, I could have written that song, I think, actually. Uh, but um, thank you, Jesus, for Alexis. Uh, see, I prayed to Jesus right there. Um, my Savior. Uh, where was Alexis I? Or Jesus? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm not sure. 
When, when we feel like the Lord isn't hearing our prayer and we continue to pray over and over, is it enough? I think it could lead us to another place where we can begin to ask the question, why God? What, what else do you have for me to learn in this moment? What else is there for me to be taught through this? So it maybe can expand that prayer instead of to be maybe focused on one issue in our life. Maybe it's, Lord, what do you have for me that I can't see? What's the blind spot? What's the area that you want me to grow in? And, and I think that can be really helpful in our uh, lives as followers of Jesus. Yeah, because the Bible clearly talks, even Jesus' parables talk about persistence in prayer, and then there's other places that say, that, that, that kind of give the message, you pray once and you believe. And, but So the persistence in prayer is not begging, but more maybe asking more questions. Where are you in this, God? What are you doing? But even, even then, there's the, the parable of persistence, persistent widow is you keep asking, you keep asking, and he'll give. So... Uh, to me, there's, there's teachings on both sides of that, and what that usually means in the Bible is that you need to discern what's the one for me right now. Am I supposed to continue to ask this over and over again, or am I supposed to be asking a different question? Or is God saying, you've asked, I've heard, let it rest, I'll come. You know, And that really becomes more about our relationship with God in those moments of prayer. We get, we get so caught up in a lot of these things trying to figure out a formula it's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And we need to learn how God communicates with us and what he wants in each time of the situations. Do we have one more time? More, one, more prayer, one more question? Or no? Sure, it's the 11 o'clock service. We can go as long as we want. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's close. No more questions. Uh, so if you uh, haven't already done this, I want to I give you a couple options for uh, application today. If you haven't already done this, uh, filled out your Leap of Faith card that we do every Lenten season, I want to encourage you to grab one of these. They're out by the front door on your way out. And we just ask you to do two things. What, what do I want Jesus to do for me in these next month or so here? What I really, what, what's something bold that I really want to ask God? Would you show up in this and give me an answer or give me a miracle or give me a provision or, or whatever it is you need? Ask him for that. And then we want you to list your five, the five people in your life who um, are unchurched or distant from God, who you have regular contact with. And we want you to be praying for them on a regular basis, asking God for opportunities for you to care for them opportunities for you to pray for them more specifically and to see answered prayer happen so that they begin to experience God as real in their life. But there's a second application too, and it comes around this question. How many of you have wrestled with that emotional barrier we tried to describe earlier where you pray, but it's just really hard to keep praying because you don't see the healing, you don't see the answer coming. Maybe, maybe you've struggled with feeling, but what good is it, what good is it to continue to pray? I mean, what good is it to ask someone to pray for me? What, what good is it to pray for healing when it just looks like death and continued ailment and the previous prayers I've prayed haven't been answered? If you're here and you've ever struggled with that feeling, would you just stand now? If you've struggled with that sense of, God, I want to pray, kind of like I did with that one woman that one day where it was like, I don't feel like praying, and I just really want to, go ahead and stand. Am I, am I the only one? Okay, I know I'm not the only one, right? Most of us have resisted praying because of that emotional barrier, saying, I don't know if God's listening, I don't know if he's going to hear, I don't know if he's going to answer, right? I just want to say, this is not just a, a question to pad the response numbers because a lot of you are standing. This is just to show us that many of us, and I think at some level, at some time, almost all of us struggle at some point with this question. In fact, I would submit to you that almost every great faith healer throughout history has struggled with this feeling of going, I know I should pray and believe, but I don't know for sure if God's going to show up in this moment. And Jesus is asking us today, will you continue? Will you continue to open yourself and ask others to pray for you? Will you continue to be quick to pray for others around you, even when you don't feel like it? And by so doing, will you continue to allow room by your faith for the Spirit of God to break into that moment and do signs and wonders and healing or speak words that make people go, God hears me. God knows me. He listens. 
and he responds. So I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Why don't everybody stand? Because we're going to go into worship here in a second. Then, then immediately following when I'm done praying, we're going to go into a new song that speaks of the Comforter, another name for the Holy Spirit, coming to us in our questions and our doubts, our questions about healing. So uh, when I finish praying, would you allow God's Spirit to just minister to you through this new song? You may not know the words. It may be just something where you just stand there and soak the words in and go, God, this is my heart. This is what I want. But let's just just hold our hands out in kind of a receiving way right now as I pray. Lord, would would you come now? And would you use our touch as we, as we lay hands on people and touch them and pray? Would you use our act of faith even when we don't feel like it? Would you use our requests of you in prayer to speak to us? And as we pray for others, Lord, would you show up and answer prayer? And would you teach us the right questions to ask so we can learn to be more effective in understanding your will and understanding our own hearts and being responsive and soft to you so that, Lord, we would see so many more prayers answered that we would have so much more blessing in our lives and the blessing in the life of this community because we ask and you respond and you hear. Lord, would you make your presence and your power the distinguishing factor of our lives as a church and as a people? That you are a God who hears prayers and you are a God who answers and you are a God who does wonders and miracles and speaks to our hearts and brings freedom. Would you lead us into that place more and more every day? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. If you are interested in learning more about Quest, who we are and what we do, please visit gotoquest.org slash connect. If you are interested in supporting Quest financially, you can give quickly and easily by visiting gotoquest.org slash giving. This page will walk you through all the options to give online, via text message, or through the PushPay app. If you are loving Quest and the podcast, let us know by tagging Quest in your Facebook or Twitter post and use the hashtag GoToQuest. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check back in next week for another great message.